Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina, underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free. All right, I'll jump in and get, get the conversation started. So we talk about small business, and you've probably heard me say over the past few weeks that sole proprietorship, right? We talked about that. We talked about partnerships. We talked about corporations. We talked about LLCs, C-Corps, S-Corps, all that good stuff. Well, the thing that I told you guys about sole proprietors is that if you want to be a sole proprietor, you can open up that candle shop today, right now. Do it. Um, if you want to open up that clothing line, you can do it. I think you said you want to do restaurants or welding. welding. Welding, yeah. If you want to do that, boom, that's what you can do. So um, it doesn't. you don't have to like do any special consideration for that. Sole proprietors can just say, I'm in business, let's go. Now, if you're doing something that requires a license, the state requires you or the city requires you to have a license for it, like if you're a hairstylist, you have to be licensed for that. Um, other practitioners, you know, have to have a license and things like that. But for the most part, if you're doing just something like consumer sales, things like that. Now, food is a different category. Of course, you got to have like some, the health department's got to weigh in on, on your location to make sure you've got all the pieces of the puzzle in place to make sure you're offering quality and safe uh, food products. But uh, for the most part, you can jump into business pretty easily as a sole proprietor. Why is this not working? One moment. There we go. But um, this is a small company that just started recently, uh, Botank Bracelets. Anybody ever heard of this? No? So Botank Bracelets, the reason it's called Botank Bracelets is because uh, this was started in a small community in North Carolina called Botankas. Anybody ever heard of that place? No? I had never heard of it either. Um, And uh, basically the sole proprietor, so woman in her uh, mid-30s she said i want to she started making bracelets and she did a good job with it and friends and family started saying hey these are nice so can you make me one that's that's a lot there's so many stories like that lularoe was the same thing Uh, we talked about lularoe they were making clothes for their kids friends and family liked them can you make me one uh and so kind of took off well this business started two weeks ago and this individual's already got over $200 in orders, just like two weeks, boom. Which, $200 is not a lot of money, but it's pretty. I think that's pretty good to start as a sole proprietor right out of the gate. This is my wife's new business, by the way. And I'm not here to promote it. I'm here to tell a story that she said, I'm going to do this, go. And I said, well, you're a sole proprietor, go. And so um, she had somebody approach her at her work and say, I do some, um, like, what do you, like, booths where we go set up like boutique booths at, at um, expos and things like that. And she ordered like right at $200 uh, of wholesale bra- bracelets from her. But she's retailed several, you know, herself. So these are just some examples of ones that she's made. And uh, I thought this would be an interesting story to share with you guys and keep you posted how it goes. But um, I think it's got some legs because the overhead cost is very cheap. These materials are very cheap to purchase. The real cost is the time it takes to make them. So it takes her, she can make probably five bracelets in two hours. Get probably She probably could do more than that if she's really pushing. But um, there is some time that goes into making sure that it, like the exact number of these little beads and stuff are accurate. Um, 
but I'm supporting her. You know, we this business card concept up here, I designed that so you can give me props to that. Uh, and uh, I got the graphic from a free website that's called Creative And then I took that free graphic and went over to Vista Prints and ordered her some business cards. And she's on her way. So we got her some little bags, put the bracelet there with the business card, and there you go. And so her goal is to um, make, make enough to fill this first order and keep making some to retail. And then if she gets a uh, – there's going to be things that pop up. Like once we start advertising, we've got a Facebook page. We haven't really – started advertising yet but i believe that once people in the community see that she can do things we'll get a lot of orders for um, like high school specific colors like our kids are in the north duplin district so um, she believes that she's going to get a lot of orders that people wanted to make like north duplin bracelets and things like that so um be brutal tell me good bad and ugly what's your thoughts on this this is just for uh conversation i'm not i'm not like i'm saying i'm not promoting this business i just want you guys to Give me feedback on it. Um, five bracelets in two hours. That's a, it's, it's, that, it's, it's a very that's that is the that is the bottleneck of yeah. this business. I told my wife last night, I was like, "There's no way to scale this unless you get my daughters involved right, so you gotta get that and get them to make one or two a night to help." Because if it if she got an order for like fifty, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's that's seven to ten nights of work, you know, and that's a big time commitment. So it's, I mean, what are they, five to ten uh, our pricing right now is 10 for one, two for 15. So you're encouraging the two for 15, you know, which is 750 a piece, you know, and it's not the materials, um, which are, like I said, relatively cheap, but it's the time it takes to, to make it, you know, so. The only, the only drawback I can see is you're right. You can order all that stuff online and make them, Somebody can make it themselves, right? So you're pay. Yeah, I get it. You're paying for the convenience of, because, well, like I can make a hamburger, but so can Highway 55, and they can do it better. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, I see. I see good, good, valid points all the way around, and, um, you know, like, I, I, th- I told her I said this may not be like a a multi million dollar endeavor, but if you could make couple hundred dollars extra a month that's a win in my book and i tell students the same thing as i look don't set out to make a million dollars set out to make a thousand dollars you know if you do that that's a huge you're you're more successful than like 90 percent of businesses i'm not good i can see her if she makes a bunch up at one time and then goes to like these affair yeah right sure well just that's what i'm saying like festivals i can see this being like a table at we talked about the pickle festival. You set up a table. People come through. Ten dollars is a, a low barrier for most people. Here's ten bucks. Here's a bracelet. You know, so uh, but you know state fairs or local festivals. Yeah, I see that's a, a thing. But this is, um, I mean, there's a lot of different businesses that do stuff like this. This is just what she's doing right now. So any other? Uh, the main reason I showed you this is to show you how easy it is to jump into an entrepreneurship endeavor. You know, so like I mean. You shouldn't like this. I mean, she's tried several things over the years. She, I think the last business that she tried was something called Origami Owl. Does anybody know what that is? It's a, it's a jewelry company where um, they sell bracelets and charms and, and necklaces and thing, earrings and things. Uh, and I told her from day one, I was like, look, I don't care if you make any money or not as long as you're having fun. That was, if it's a hobby that she's enjoying and she's having fun with it, that's great. But it was not a money-making endeavor, and she finally just said, okay, I'm going to let it go. 
Um, but this, I think, you know, like the same thing. I mean, I don't, I don't expect her to make a ton of money, but if she's having fun, there's something intrinsic about doing stuff like this for fun. And there are such things called as hobby businesses that you do it. You don't make a ton of money, but you have fun doing it, you know. So, um, but we'll see. I'm trying to encourage her to save all her money that she gets in and not spend any of it to begin with. Just kind of buy this stuff out of pocket and have a nest egg to work from. So we'll see if I can convince her to do that or not. So, so does she, does she got some affiliation with Tank? No, well, we live in Botancus. That's our, that's our community we live in. Oh, that's a So that's... Is it really a township? Or it's, a com- it's a community. If you look at it on Google Maps, it's considered a community. Okay. So, yeah, there's, it's not a town. I've so. never heard of a town. Yeah, I never... Well, I'd never heard of it either when I met her. I was like, where is that on the map? You know, so... It's not technically a town, so. But, you know, I thought that name kind of has a a southern couture to it. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's got a little ca- little southern together. cachet. Huh? It goes together. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, other comments. Once again, this is just to say, if you guys ever want to jump down the entrepreneurship, you can do it very quickly, you know, because all we're out right now is probably $100 worth of, supplies and business cards and that's it the facebook page and time you know of course but uh it's fun it's keeping her engaged it gives her something to to look forward to an intrinsic activity which is important so all right um next thing we'll talk about is i'm actually mostly i've I've got a few more essays that i'm reading i didn't want to rush them today to get them done today so they'll turn those back into you on thursday but i do have essay number two um and I stapled these so I wouldn't lose them, so I'm just going to pass them out to you guys, let you just tear one off and pass it around. Um, But this essay number two is about ethics. Um, We talked about ethics a few chapters ago, and I'm trying to pick essay topics that kind of go over big themes from the course. If you look at your syllabus, um, I I looked at your syllabus again yesterday because we actually had a conversation with the institutional effectiveness crowd about outcomes and some of the big course outcomes um, are things I want to make sure that you were, were covering. And we, we do go through these topics over the course of the uh, class, but that being said, I want to kind of highlight those few specific, usually right there, I'll get it, those few specific uh, outcomes and ethics is one of those things we talk about. So I'm just going to read this off. Uh, and if you have any questions, please let me know. But these are just some writing prompts. I didn't want to be too, too specific like I was in the first essay. I want to give you guys some freedom, some autonomy to um, kind of create this as you will. But these are just some of the ideas that can get you writing. Um, so what are ethics? Why is it important, important to study ethics? Why is it important to incorporate ethics into a business education? What is a business you identified that has had ethical issues? So this would be an opportunity for you to look up a business that, that's had some ethical issues, and you can report on that. So what was the name of the business? What happened? When did it happen? What was the outcome? What could have made things go differently? What is the lessons learned from this example? And then how can learning about ethics make you a better manager, leader, person? What do you consider to be your personal ethical framework? So what rules, morals, values do you live by? How can this framework help you in business, in the business world? And last two uh, frameworks or, or prompts are, what does it mean to be ethical and what is the most important aspect of being ethical to you? So there's a couple outcomes that are from this. And by the way, I've read, like I said, about half of your essays and they're really good. Um, 
really good content in those. I'm very happy about the writing content, but this act activity is meant just to stimulate your critical thinking, actually put some thought into what you're saying. And the rubric's the same as the first one, so and I'm actually, I just printed off copies of the rubric for your first essay, and I'm using that to grade your first essay. So any questions or comments on this? It's doing about two weeks, so you got some time on that. Uh, on that note, Chapter 5 quiz is due today. Um, I think most of you have not completed that yet, so be sure to do Chapter 5 quiz today. Uh, and next week is a test week. It'll be on 4, 5, and 6. So instead of a Chapter 6 quiz, it'll just be a 4, 5, and 6 test, okay? Same format, uh, just a little bit longer. So make sure you plan for that. Other questions or comments, ideas, before we jump into, yes? Okay, I can uh, populate those for you. Um, they're all in McGraw-Hill right now except for the essay. So your grades are in McGraw-Hill, but I can, I, if you'll send me an email, I can do that for you. So, but, um, you did not see that in there? Okay. Um, I know it's in there because I looked at it today. So uh, I don't know why it wouldn't be visible to you. It shows the chapter a little quiz. Yeah. Send me an email and I'll 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 get you that information, okay? Because uh, yeah, um, I looked at everybody's grades today just to make sure everybody's is is doing well and but for the most part everybody's doing okay. The biggest takeaway I got from looking at all the grades today is just make sure you're doing every assignment every week. If you miss assignments, that that really hurts your grade. So, um, but yeah, send me an email on those and I'll 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 reach out and do that because. Uh, I can go into Blackboard and plug in your average at this point, and you should be able to see it from there. Or I can just tell, I can do a screenshot in McGraw Hill and send it to you. So, but the weight's a little different, um, so I'll have to reweight it because the essay will come into a factor too. So, but you guys are doing okay right now, so don't don't stress about that. So, but email, cool. Um, other questions before we move on. All right. So chapter six is on entrepreneurship and starting a small business. Um, what you'll notice, there is some, there's a little bit of duplication, but not much. Uh, but we have been talking about entrepreneurship all along. Uh, but some of these chapters just get a little bit more detail down that rabbit hole. And so that's what chapter six talks about. As, uh, and ties really well into this, this opening discussion I had about this Botank bracelet concept. Uh, Starting a small business is a very common thing to do. People do it every day. Um, I want to encourage you to do it. I think everybody should have a small business, um, but do something that you know you feel like you can be successful with. Don't just open one to have one. Do something that you think has a chance of being viable. So these are the learning outcomes or objectives for this chapter. Explain why people take the risks of entrepreneurship. List the attributes of success, successful entrepreneurs and describe entre entrepreneurial teams, entrepreneurs, and home and web-based businesses. Discuss the importance of small business to the American economy and summarize the major causes of small business failure. Summarize ways to learn about how small businesses operate. Analyze what it takes to start and run a small business and outline the advantages and disadvantages small businesses have in entering global markets. Um, that being said, before I jump to the next slide, we have the Small Business Center uh, is actually located on this floor um, down at the end of the hall, and Suzanne Ross is the director. She actually asked to come speak to you guys, and I might see if she could step in here for 10 or 15 minutes on Thursday just to, since we're talking about small business, 
And just to share with you the resources the Small Business Center has available, a lot of people don't know this, but we have a, the SBC Center is designed to help entrepreneurs down the path of business ownership. And there's a ton of resources that a lot of entrepreneurs don't know are available. And SBC helps you organize that content. There's actually another initiative that is happening in Johnson County. It's not a part of JCC per se. We are participating in it. It's called uh, Lance Joko or Lance Johnson County. And that is a program where every year they take, I believe it's 20 applicants. They, they select 20 entrepreneurs and they pair them with a, with a mentoring experience over a semester. And they help that entrepreneur um, get some business mentoring to help them be more successful in their business. So that's a really cool uh, program we have as well. So tons of stuff out there available to help small business um, be successful. And part of the reason that we support small business is that it's such a big part of our economy, uh, as we've talked about in the past and we'll continue to talk about. So, so this is one of the examples from the reading. And I've never tried this, but I know the product. Um, Kodiak Cakes, brothers Joel and John Clark took their mother's whole grain high-protein pancake mix and sold it door-to-door. -door. Joel earned an MBA and quit his job to focus on Kodiak Cakes, full-time as CEO. Kodiak Cakes failed to get the investment on Shark Tank, but their sales skyrocketed after consumers saw the show. Now the company's annual sales exceed $100 million every year, $100 million. Bucks. $100 million, $100 million. And so if the, I remember seeing them on Shark Tank. I, I don't remember the specifics of the deal, but I imagine the Sharks could have invested and bought a big chunk of the company for 50, 100 grand, you know, just pancake mix. And they, if they put up that money, they would have been reaping the benefits uh, in perpetuity off of that. But this is just, uh, throughout the chapters, you'll see profiles pop up. And just like we talked about with the bracelet concepts. I mean, bracelets, beads, you know, it's twine, you know, some, some like clasps, but something simple. But here we go, right over here, we've got pancakes. You know, it's flour mix. I mean, come on, you know, but we have pancakes. And the thing that really separates these guys is the branding. You know, they have, their bag looks a little different on the shelf. It's a premium pancake mix. It's a little more expensive, but they're, they're aiming for that a whole grain high, profi high protein market, and they're doing $100 million. So um, a lot of times, some of the most successful companies are not people that reinvent the wheel. They just come up with a a slant on something already in demand that they can address that, that, that next market thing. Something that, I don't know, like to me, like I see things that are expensive and it's a turnoff, but there is a market niche for things that are expensive out there. Like like something that I did, to me as a consumer, I would think, no, that's, that's, that's a barrier for entry for me. But there's somebody out there that said, you know what, there's a consumer for this product. We're gonna charge this price and they're wildly successful. So uh, don't, don't be afraid to put out higher quality. The reason I bring that up with the pancake mix, I think this pancake mix is like six to $8 a bag. It's expensive. And to me, that would be a turnoff. I'm looking at, you know, if I want to get a small bag for six to $8, or I could get a huge box of um, regular pancake mix that makes like 96 pancakes. Um, as a a, huh? Good. That's a market for the, the workout. Yeah, the workout people love stuff like that. Yeah, he loves them. Yeah. Have you tried them? Are they good? Yeah. Mm. He just wants that extra protein when he was working out. So that's that's kind of a niche. I think. Is the taste that different? No. That's interesting. I need to try, I need to buy back some time just to experiment and see, just 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 that try it out, see what I think. You know, I might be converted once I try it. So, 
All right. Um, but there was another one on Shark Tank that comes to mind. These guys got together and they made basically higher protein peanut butter. I don't know if you saw that. It was they put a, several different kinds of nut, nuts into it, and it made it. It they somehow increased the protein count of it, and they were charging like nine or ten dollars a jar. It was expensive, but they got a deal with GNC and blew up. I mean, so yeah. Um, I also saw another uh, two girls. They they did a peanut butter concept where they were making these. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but craft peanut butters basically with they would take like pretzels and mix it in it with raisins and stuff and just kind of different combinations of peanut butter, different slants on peanut butter, and uh, they were successful. So, yeah, um, you can find a market niche and then kind of find your own piece in there and, and make it work. So, all right. So, um, entrepreneurship, job cre creating power of entrepreneurs in the United States. So an entrepreneurship is someone that's accepting the risk of starting and running a business. Notable entrepreneurs, French immigrant, I'm going to butcher this name, um, El Ruthier, Irene Dupont de, oh my gosh, de Moore, that sounds okay, started Dupont in uh, 1802. Um, David McConnell, much better, borrowed $500 from a friend to start Avon. George Eastman started Kodak with three, a $3,000 investment in, in 1880. And Jeff Bezos started Amazon with investments from his family and friends. And so going off Amazon, because it's the one I've read the most about, um, it's easy to knock Bezos now because he's ultra wealthy. But if you look at where he started, I mean, the guy started basically in a basement. I mean, the very early days of Amazon were not glamorous. He operated off basically a folding table very rinky-dink office. And so to take it from where it was to where it is now, this guy bootstrapped it. I got to give him props for it, you know. Um, but yeah, this this is just some notable entrepreneurs. So customer loyalty, Wacky Grocer, Jungle Jim, Bonamino, uh, may put on a wizard suit and roller skates through his Jungle Jim's international market, but he's serious when it comes to his business. Instead of competing on price against big firms like Walmart, Jungle Gems competes on product variety. For example, a case holding 1,500 kinds of hot sauce rests beneath an antique fire engine. Why do you think customers might remain loyal to Jungle Gym? So what, why would people shop here over Walmart? What do you think? Unique. The novelty of it, you're right. Um, this guy reminds me of a kite store in Myrtle Beach. It's over there on uh, close to Barefoot Landing. Uh, it's called Cliggs Kites. Oh, yeah. You know that place? Yeah. yeah. Anybody ever been there? It's when you walk in there, everything's expensive. I mean, it's like that's a novelty store. But the reason you shop there is because uh, it's got all these oddities, and that and when you go in there, your kids are going to be like, okay, buy me this. But you look at it and realize it's twice the price of what you can find it on eBay or Amazon, you know. And you've got the same thing here. This guy knows he can't compete on price. He knows that, so he's got to do something different. He, he can't compete on price, so he's got to compete on being different, doing something, doing, adding a value. And so when customers shop here, he probably knows a lot of his customers by name. You know, he probably makes it a point to talk to individual customers, find out what they like, and uh, give them that extra level of customer service because that's what keeps his business going. Uh, any other ideas on why customers might shop with Jim? Variety. Variety. So variety, unique, different. Yeah. You might find items in there that you won't find at Walmart. Right. And so, like, in business, 
it's easy to open up your doors and complain. I can't compete against the big players because they can buy things cheaper. Well, if you know that going in, then don't compete in that way. You need to re redefine how you're going to compete. What you can do well is offer customer service that the big players can't. So you can, the big players are like, I tell this to students all the time. I say, look, I'm going to know you by name when you come to our college. But if you go to another big school, you're probably not, your son's at UNC Wilmington, right? I mean, nothing against UNC W or ECU or NC State or Chapel Hill, but the level of customer service is different. It just is. I mean, you're, I went to ECU for a minute and you're just a number. No disrespect to any of those big schools. Uh, and so we know we can't compete against the big schools that have these mascots and sports teams. What, what our appeal is is that local customer service. And so you got to understand how you can compete against uh, your competitors in an effective way. So you're never too young to be an entrepreneur. Five reasons to start your business right away. You have potential for long-term returns. Um, one thing I've learned in business is that I learned what not to do. So like, if you make mistakes in the business world, you're gonna learn from those mistakes. Like, uh, and I've seen mistakes made over the years that I was like, man, in hindsight's 2020, you learn a lot. So the longer you're in business, the more things you're gonna learn. Because uh, if you lose money on something, you're like, well, I'm not going to do that again, you know. And if you if you if you buy this marketing campaign that doesn't work, that doesn't work. We're not going to do that again. So it it thickens your skin up. Um, another reason you don't have a mortgage payment or kids to take care of if you're young. Uh, that's that's a compelling reason. You can survive on little funds and work long hours. Um, God, I forget what I was reading recently. It was this week though, uh, and it was talking about just yeah. I was listening to a podcast and the guy said. If I tried to do what I what I did then now, I would have never done it because I had so many obligations, and I had. And in fact, I've heard people say this to me before. I had somebody get a job and say, "You know, I'm glad I got this job before I became too successful in my other career, because if I was too successful in my other career, I couldn't afford to leave it. I would have adjusted my lifestyle to this level of income, and I would have never made this transition. And so, um, that these are just reinforcements of why you should, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you should jump in. No disruption to your career path. It hasn't started yet. You're more adaptable and you have higher risk tolerance at a younger age. And you've got more time to, re to recover. In investments, uh, they say, if you're young, you should make riskier investments because you have time to recover. Those, those, those investments have bigger potential for returns. And if something doesn't work out, you have more time to recover. If you're older, on the other hand, you should be less, or less risk, uh, risky in your investments because if something doesn't work out, you have less time to recover. Uh, so you should be more defensive in your investment strategy. So all good reasons to be an entrepreneur. Um, more Americans are working over the age of 65. Since 1996, older Americans have opened businesses at a higher rate than those aged 20 to 34. There's some reasons for that. Older entrepreneurs have great, greater experience and more financial resources. That's the key thing right there. Yeah, I was thinking about myself opening a business, and I'm still would like to open one at some point, but a couple, I've got a couple caveats. I don't want to open anything that I don't fully believe in. I don't want to open anything that I have to be tied down to every single day, you know, because <laughs> that you're basically, I don't need another job at this point. I mean, I want something that can earn some money, but I don't want to work it 24 seven, 365. So opening business sounds good, but you're actually giving yourself a job. So you have to be mindful of that. But the other thing is financial resources. Um, if I open a business, I know there's going to be a financial commitments. And with three kids right now, I'm not prepared to make that financial commitment. 
but maybe someday. And so this is why older Americans that have greater means decide, you know, they may be retired and say, you know, I've always wanted to own a little restaurant. So here we go. I'm going to open up a cafe, sandwich and coffee, and I'm going to use some of my retirement to do that. So never too old to be an entrepreneur. So why people take the entrepreneurial um, challenge? And there's a lot of reasons, but the four major ones are opportunity, profit, independence, and challenge. And so opportunity is unlimited. I mean, and it's continually changing. I ran into a guy probably about three years ago now. It was actually one of my students' father, and the student referred the father to me. The father called me and um, spoke to him, and he said, I'm a farmer, but I've recently started a a business where we um, do um, advertising on billboards. And so he had, I think, eight to ten billboards he had invested in, and he wanted me to give him some feedback and help him uh, on some things. And I got together and helped him a little bit, but um, it's a very capital-intensive business. How much do you think it costs to put up one billboard on the side of the road, just a standard billboard? Ten or fifteen thousand? Any other guesses? Yeah, he he buys the billboard, but he leases the land it sits on. Oh, that! Oh. We he owns the billboard, and then he leases out the signs that people advertise on it. That's his business model. Okay, I'm probably thinking maybe like seventy thousand. It's around forty thousand. Yeah, forty to fifty thousand. Yeah. yeah. So it's an expensive, capital-intensive business. So. 10 of them, you're talking 400K. I mean, that's a lot of money, you know. So, um, and the digital signs are even more. The ones that have uh, big screens on them, they're very expensive. Um, we're talking like, could be multi-hundred thousand, you know, uh, for those. But um, his, his, his rationale was, if I buy these signs now and I can use the revenue off the signs to pay, pay off the loans for those signs, and then... I think his window was five to seven years. I'll own them outright, and then all the future revenue will be in my pocket. You know, that was his rationale. And so the opportunity was there, and I asked him, how did you get into this? And he said, well, I met somebody. They told me they were doing that, and I saw the opportunity. That's the word he used when he talked to me about that. And so uh, I, I would encourage you guys uh, to always be looking for opportunities uh, because they're going to present themselves in your personal life, in your professional life, and in your entrepreneurial life if you decide to be an entrepreneur. And um, I have missed opportunities in my career. Like, uh, and I just, I've, I've kicked, I, I don't, I'm not kicking myself now, but I just, I've seen opportunities that I've, I've passed on and I'm like, man, I should've just, like one is an example. Uh, I used to teach part-time for an online school and didn't make a lot of money. I only made about three, three to $4,000 a year. Not a lot of money, but I got to a point where I was just really busy, and I said, you know what, I'm just not going to mess with this anymore, so I gave it up. But I really wish I hadn't gave it up because I've been away from them for probably five years now, and that would have been $15,000 I would have made over the past five years, unrealized opportunity. And so um, I still I kick myself for that past opportunity. I should have kept it. But profit, yeah, that's a, there, the profit motive is an underlying business motive. That's, that's the reason why people go into business is to earn a return. That's the reason why business exists, is to make profit for their owners. Independence, um, instead of being under a boss, under a organization, you can say, I am my own boss. But independence equals responsibility. You have to get out of the bed every morning motivated 
to go run your business because nobody else is going to do that. Um, independence is a double-edged sword. Um, it, it can be brutal. Like if you're out there trying to run your business and the customers aren't showing up, you're not getting that revenue, that can be very painful. You know, um, I've seen it. Like it gets really ugly if you have really good times and then you go through lean times and you just don't have the bankroll to sustain your business through the lean times and you have to sell out, close shop. That's very challenging. And the challenge to build something from the ground up um, it feels good. Like my wife right now is very elated. You know, she, she'll text me. She texts me today. I got another sale, 10 bucks. I'm like, yes. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but that's an intrinsic value add for her. Then she's, uh, there's something, it doesn't matter if it's $1 or a hundred dollars. If you're getting money from something that you're doing, it's very rewarding. It feels good. And it's also, it's almost like, <clears throat> it's almost like a popularity thing. If somebody, says, you know, I like your product, they're validating what you're doing. They're saying, I like, I like you, I like what you're doing there. And by them financially supporting it, it's just a validation, it feels good. So there's a lot of positive reasons to go into entrepreneurship. So what does it take to be an entrepreneur? You gotta be self-directed. You got, and part of what the head fake of college, <coughs> it's not, a, I mean, learning is obviously the, one of your reasons to be here. But part of this is an endurance test to see, are you guys going to take on the challenge of learning to go through the motions of showing up to class, to doing the assignments, uh, reading, you know, studying, that type of stuff. But entrepreneurship is the same thing. I mean, nobody's going to be there hovering over your shoulder saying, you need to do this, you got to do this. When you have a job, your boss is there saying, okay, we're going to have a meeting and we're talking about things you need to accomplish. Then we'll have another meeting and see if you accomplish those things or have notes. Yeah. You're doing all that yourself. You're having to be the one that calls the shots. It can be very rewarding though. Um, you have to also be self-nurturing. Like I hear this a lot from some of the top CEOs like uh, mindfulness is a big word that's been thrown around the past few years. Gotta take me time. <laughs> you gotta be deliberate about it because if you don't, if you think I'm gonna work 24 seven, 365 without taking a break to give your mind and body rest, yeah, it's not, it's not healthy and it's not, it's not going to sustain your business and you're going to eventually burn out. You got to be action oriented, focused on outcomes. What is the maximum return on my daily investment of effort? If I do this, what outcome am I going to get from that today? And so the, the private sector is looking for results. I mean, you got to be delivering, you know, these things on a daily basis. One moment. The best entrepreneurs right here, highly energetic. You gotta have that personal magnetism and charisma. You gotta be somebody that's <clears throat> walking in a room and just sets it on fire. You know? And so um, uh, some of the teachers that I know that, that are really, like some of the highest rated teachers I've ran into, they walk in and just real bubbly, energetic, here we go. I'm not a high energy person, like I'm pretty uh, even keel. And I mean, that's just how I am, but uh, I don't know. I, there is something to be said though about that high energy and excitement. It gets people going. And then tolerant of uncertainty. <clears throat> so this is, this is where most people fall into the trap and don't want to be an entrepreneur because they, they like the certainty of knowing I'm gonna go to work. This is what my day's gonna look like. When I'm done with my job, I'm gonna be able to go home and I know what my evening's gonna look like and I'm gonna get up tomorrow. And they like that certainty of knowing that routine that eight to five, Monday through Friday, or whatever that, that time routine is. When you're an entrepreneur, 
You're going to have a ton of uncertainty. You don't know what your sales are going to look like tomorrow or next week. Unless you're a very established brand, you just don't know. You don't know how the, the weather's going to affect your sales or how a pandemic can affect your sales or you just, you know, how the economy. There's so many factors and that weighs on people. They start to go down this rabbit hole of uncertainty and fear and uh, that really can turn people to away from being an entrepreneur. So, any questions or comments about any of this? No? All right, I'm going to take a quick time out and uh, shuffle this or save this. If you need to take a break, please do so. We'll be right back. All right, I'll jump back in, and uh, they'll, they'll get back in a second. But um, Just moving on to tips for starting your own business in school. Solve a problem. That's the, the thing you want to look at. What's a problem that's an unmet need? That's a, that's a fundamental question that they ask on Shark Tank a lot. What problem does this solve or what need does this meet? And if you can't answer that question, then you need to assess, is this the right business for you to be in? So if you bring me, say, hey, I got an idea for business, here you go, go. That, that's going to be one of my first questions. What problem does this solve? What unmet need does this meet? Um, and you need to have a good answer for that. You know, like food, food trucks, who thinks they're a good idea? Anybody like food truck? Why, why do you like the food truck concept? Right. So, like, um, they always, like, he's actually like, a chef and a teacher. Sure. So he teaches here. And so, like, he'll always, like, have people in his classroom from, like, different food trucks and then go to those food trucks. Is he a, is he a chef teacher here? Mm-hmm. So he does, like, um, like culinary classes and stuff? Okay, excellent. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love the food truck concepts. Uh, why do, do you have a particular reason why you like them? They are good, yeah. I haven't eaten a lot of them. Do you, do you like them, Shane? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they've gained a lot of popularity. Right. That's it. That's, that's, that's where I was going with this, is that they solve uh, unmet need, which is, uh, I, I personally have like, eaten a lot of from food trucks. I have a little bit, but I like the idea that it's a relatively low barrier to entry. If I wanted to start a full-scale restaurant, it could be hundreds of thousands or if not more to do that. But a food truck, you could get a food truck probably in the fifteen to $20,000 on the low end and go, you know, depending on what your, your equipment needs are. And that's a, that's a very affordable, like, entry point for mo- a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, yeah, fifteen dollars to $20,000 is a lot of money, but you can have a few thousand dollars in a loan and go, and, and you're in business. Uh, and if you've got the skills and the chops to produce good food, yeah, you, you. I mean, like my dad and I, we're not. I won't claim to be experts, but we cook really, really good, like barbecued and smoked products, like uh, barbecue chicken on the grill, ribs, that kind of stuff. Oh my God! I mean, every class I'm talking about food. I'm sorry, you know, and I can't eat for like another eighteen hours, but it's okay. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, we'll pre cook the chicken in the oven and then throw it on the grill with barbecue sauce. Oh, it's, it's so good. But I was every time we cook like this, I'm like. Why doesn't anywhere else in town or around sell food like this? You know, have you ever done that? Where you make something at the house and you think, "Why this is so good? Why doesn't other people cook this good at restaurants?" You know. Well, they started a. Yeah, this this kitchen down here. What do what do you call that? It's like a food hall. No, I'm talking about at the airport. Okay, what is that? Smoke food. Yeah, I went to one in. I guess it was Greenville or White Whiteville. It was. God, what was this place called? 
I don't even remember. It was it was a pit cook place. So it was pretty good, kind of expensive, but um, but yeah, with the food truck concept, um, you're able to have a portable business that you can go meet that unmet need. So they can go park downtown during lunch hour and get that that audience that may not want to travel to you. So that solves a problem. What finding a mentor so crucial. Uh, I love the quote, and I don't know if this is Michael uh, Michael Jordan's or not, but he I know he said it, which is uh, surround yourself with. You, you become the five people you surround yourself with, and so if you want to be a loser, you'll hang around five losers. If you want to be a winner, you'll hang around five winners. And there's this term one of my good friends talks about. It's called propiquity, which is proximity. And by you being around successful people, you almost by default become successful because you start to mimic and mirror what they do and so you want to find a mentor somebody that believes in you and supports what you're trying to accomplish zero in on specifics yeah um don't like if you've got an idea you want to be your own devil's advocate don't like go present it and then get tore apart because you don't know all the ins and outs of what's going to happen you need to eat breathe live dream all the all the aspects of your business and be able to be able to know your stuff, be able to go and be able to sell it as to why this is going to work. Do research on campus, test products with students. Um, there's nothing wrong with um, asking all the right questions, and then if you don't get the answers you want, say backing away from it. I think that's even a better approach than not asking the right questions, jumping into business, and then realize this is going to fail. Like, I, if I was going to – this is one of my – Character flaws, maybe, is that uh, I'm overly analytical. And so if somebody brought me a business concept, I'm going to scrutinize it to a fault and say, you know, uh, to a point where uh, I may not see the viability of it unless you can really sell me on that. And that's a good thing and a bad thing because I may be over scrutinizing something and walking and looking away from a good opportunity. But you want to do the research. You want to know. Um, all the ins and outs, and you want to know every angle before you put your money, time, and effort into something. Move forward with your ideas. Don't wait. Sacrifice. Yeah, um, there is no short, shortcut to success. It's, um, it's getting up, hard work every day. Embrace failure. You know, if something doesn't work, what, what can we do better next time? You know, this, these are uh, tried and true uh, methods of, of doing well and starting your own business. So. Uh, why people take the entrepreneurial challenge is some additional information. Turning your passions and problems into opportunities. Most sources of innovation are, are like a flashlight. An idea is a good opportunity if it fills customers' needs. Yeah, and there's so many gaps. Um, when I went to the airport uh, recently, um, we, park, we did this thing called park and ride. That's an unmet need. Instead of us having to find parking at the airport and figuring all that out, we just parked in this lot. And this, this little, we got a ticket, this little bus took us to the airport and dropped us right off at the door. That solves a, that solves a need, you know. And there's all types of little, like, gaps in there that can help, like, solve these problems. Like, um, trying to think of another one. Um, this is interesting. Um, it's kind of macabre, and it just popped in my head, though. So what's your thoughts on cremation? Anybody have a thought on that? You, Everybody's got to, to die at some point. That's, that's an inevitability. Well, my dad's older now, and so he, he actually works in the funeral industry part-time. His, his, dad, his friend owns a, uh, a funeral parlor, which is a pretty good business to be in because people are going to die. Uh, well, 
my dad told me within the past year or two, hey, I want to be cremated. So I was like, really? He said, yeah, um, there's a service that's called MedCure, and I've already signed up for it. All you have to do is when I die, call this number. They'll come pick up my body. And it's a body donation program. And so they take the body, and they will use it for scientific purposes like medical school, cadavers and things. Then when they're done with it, they will cremate it, send you the ashes, or you can have the ashes spread at sea. And so that is a that company, that organization is is filling a need. They're basically saying we need bodies to use for scientific research or medical research and people that want a cremation option, they've they figured that logistics out and they partner with local partners throughout the United States to solve that problem. And so um, every industry has little things in there, service gaps. One interesting one, my, my old department chair when I was at Wayne, her husband, when they got together, her dad owned a company called Bucks Fire Extinguishers. Um, and the father has since passed away, but now the husband runs it. And they are basically a fire suppression uh, installation company. They're a fire inspection company. And that is something that you just don't think about. You know, like, who thinks? I don't really think about that much. You know, fire extinguishers, they got... Yeah, well, that, but that's something that's got to be managed. You know, somebody's got, that's a regulated thing that's got to be signed off on. Somebody's got to go through and, and make sure all those things are in working uh, operating procedure, they've been inspected properly, um, they're, they're in date, and all that stuff's got to be taken care of. So that is their full-time operation is taking care of fire suppression technology. Um, so there's all kinds of, like I said, these little things that you can identify that's an unmet need. Elder care huge opportunity in the next decades like more and more people need you know like right now my family my grandmother's 91 that is a 24-hour day job it's, it's taking care of my grandmother you know and like my aunt is tied at the hip with her and will not leave her side hardly at all but there's there's there could be opportunities for somebody to step in and say look i'll step in for like just like a babysitter i'll step in and, and stay with your elder person for a certain amount of time, you know, I think that's a tremendous industry. It already exists, but there's other opportunities in that sector. So you just have to identify what an unmet need is and how can I feel that customer's need? What can I do to help that customer get the get that uh, need taken care of? Do you have the skills and the resources to start a business? Can you sell the product or service at a reasonable price and profits? Um, you can get your product or service to the customer before the window of opportunity closes. Yeah, how long is this window going to last? And these, this does happen where the market will shift, and if you're not prepared for that shift, you can be left in a bad situation. Um, you can keep your business. Can you keep your business going is the question you should be asking. Um, just some additional information about entrepreneurial challenge. So another profile, uh, Kuda, Biza, and Brian, Guys, the names in this chapter, you know, the names of the book. Brian Jenzinko, I guess, does that sound right? Founded Nonbelievable Cookies in 2019 as a way to take a bite out of world hunger. For every dozen cookies that the company sells, it donates two meals to soup kitchens across the U.S. Do you think more entrepreneurs should use their businesses to directly support charitable causes? What do you think? This is opinion. Yes? It's, 
the reason these guys were in this book is because of that that initiative. It's not because of the cookies. I've never heard of the cookies. But because they're doing this, they're getting the PR in every McGraw-Hill business intro book, you know, intro to business book. What other thoughts? Do we have any contrarian thoughts as to should business not even worry about this stuff? Because before the recent decades, businesses did not focus on this, uh, like any kind of do-good initiatives. What's your thoughts? Well, especially if you're just starting up the business, uh, starting out as a directly supportive chairman is going to definitely eat uh, your profit to be able to right. build your company. Sure. you got to take care of the business first because the business is not viable then you're never going to be able to donate, you know. So um, there's been a ton of, I've seen over the years, Tom's shoes, Bomba socks. Um, Tom's, like, every shoe, pair of shoes sold, they donate one to somebody that needs it. The sock company does, you know, one for one. So uh, and that's built into the business model. Once again, though, for me, I like Bomba socks, but they're very expensive. They're like $9, 10 $12 a pair. But I know they're donating one, but that's still a major, like, barrier for me. I think I've bought from them once. And uh, that was enough. You know, I had that experience. So. Um, so why people, this is some additional information, entrepreneur teams, a group of experienced people from different areas of business who join to form a managerial team with, a, with the skills to develop, make, and market a new product. So the teams can p- combine their creative skills with production and marketing skills from the start, ensure more cooperation and coordination among functions. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this gets back into that partnership discussion, though. What's the value add? If I if I bring in a partner, there needs to be complementary skills. You know, if this person's really good at budgeting and making sure like all the detail bases are covered, and this person's done good at creative and marketing, yeah, that that's good because they complement each other. But if you've got two type A personalities and they both wanted to be doing the same things, that might create you know friction. So you got to make sure you got the right fit. But having a a productive team and a good team can be very powerful. So within a firm, it's called an entrepreneur. And these are creative people who work work as entrepreneurs within corporations. So as an example, let's say like a tech company, or it doesn't have to be a tech company, but let's say a tech company as an example, they want to branch out and give some of their more creative people a license to go create something interesting. And Google used to do this, they still do, and say they had, they had these, uh, they would block off a certain amount of time per week to be creative. So create something that will impress me, go. And so many interesting projects came up from those types of things that became uh, valuable assets to the company. And so being an entrepreneur, company's basically saying, we believe in you and your ability to create great stuff. Go make something that will impress us and then come back and tell us about it. And it may become a its own company or it may become another vertical that we offer. Some examples right here. Uh, 3M's Post-it Notes, Apple's Mac Computers, Sony's PlayStation, all are examples of entrepreneurship. Um, and so, I mean, like PlayStation's a pretty big thing in the Sony universe now. Would have never happened unless Sony said, go make something wonderful and come tell us about it. Um, yeah, post-it notes. I don't want to live in a world without post-it notes. I use quite a bit of them. So, um, so just as another, just another talk on that. When you come up with a winning idea, stick with it. That's certainly been the motto of 3M, the maker of post-it notes. The company encourage, 
uh, encourages entrepreneurship among its employees by requiring them to vote, devote at least 15% of their time to think about new products. How has this commitment to innovation paid off for 3M and its employees? Uh, they're a highly successful company. They do very well. I'm sure they sell millions upon millions of pages of post-it notes. So, um, But yeah, uh, it's kind of a, <clears throat> you don't hear about it in traditional business of this idea of taking paid time to try to create new content. That's uh, very like, we don't even, we're, we're content creators here on campus by making course material. And I don't hear this that often enough. I right? go create something, you know. And you definitely don't hear, I'll take, take time to go create something. <clears throat> it's, uh, you just don't hear that that often. So that's amazing that they get those opportunities. So micropreneurs, just another um, way, way to do this. Entrepreneurs willing to accept the risk of starting and managing a business that remains small, lets them do the work they want to do, and offers them a balanced lifestyle. <coughs> More than half of U.S. micropreneurs are home-based. Many are owned by people combining career and family. So basically, my wife's small business she's doing now, that could be considered a micropreneurship. Um, it's a small business. It's a sole proprietorship. All that is um, synonymous, but um, that's something that you could do on your own time, you know, and make a little money on the side and uh, enjoy the benefits of having a small business without having a big obligation. The bigger you get, the more obligations you have, and it becomes um, not fun anymore. I mean, I told you guys I had a comic business for a while. That was very that was fun, but when I was doing 100 orders a month, that's a lot. You know, you're working 8 to 5, coming home and boxing, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 things to ship, and then you, you, it's just, uh, it just becomes very problematic, you know. So. Um, reasons for growth of home-based businesses. Computer technology has leveled the playing field. Yeah, if you've got an internet connection, you can sell to anybody on earth, basically, that'll have our products. Uh, corporate downsizing has led many to venture on their own. Social attitudes have changed. The new tax laws have loosened restrictions on deducting expenses for home offices. So a lot of positives in being a home-based business. So some challenges of home-based businesses, getting new customers is difficult. Uh, yes and no. Depends on what it is. Um, I like the idea of people just throwing up an Instagram account, a Facebook page, throwing their stuff out there. Has anybody ever opened an Etsy store? I never have, or I don't know anybody that has, but <clears throat> um, that seems to be an easy proposition. Um, Manage your time requires self-discipline. Work and family tasks are sometimes not separated. Government ordinances, ordinances, ordinances may restrict your business. Homeowners insurance may not cover business-related claims. Yeah, so you may have to have a separate policy if you run the business out of your house. So, All right, <clears throat> this is some potential home-based businesses. Um, so I mentioned, I uh, highlighted resale for a reason, but so personal creations, things like artwork and handmade items that can be sold on sites such as Etsy, eBay, and Amazon. In-home services such as tutoring, landscaping, snow shoveling, house cleaning, pet sitting, babysitting, web designing, personal training, home organization, etc. Repair or skill-based services such as tailoring, plumbing, home repairs, painting. I tell you, plumbing. Um, has, have you ever looked into our plumbing program here? Well, like the the, the con ed. He teaches. It. How long is the class? Do you know? Yeah, it's not that long yet, uh, but man, I mean, I don't think you, it's only like a month or two maybe. I think it's not, it's not a very long class, I don't think. And uh, I was thinking, you know, 
maybe later in life I could go get learn how to be a locksmith and like a plumber and just answer calls on the weekends. Saturday, Sunday, these guys, to show up at your house on a Saturday, they're going to charge you two or $300 just to show up. So call me, please. You know, I'm happy to come see you. I've been walking the door smiling, my plunger. What seems to be the problem, you know? I mean, yeah. Right. I'm very seriously considering when I retire doing something like that, a service space. I don't know what it would be, but I can, I mean, just be on call. Just call me. Be laying in bed, read my book. I get a phone call. Hey, Ryan's plumbing. How can I help? This is Ryan. What's up? And, uh, Consulting, advising businesses in the area. And I might be better as a consultant, let's be honest. You know, so, advising businesses in the area in which you have expertise, such as technology, marketing, search engine optimization, or social media management. Resale, buying goods and reselling them. I highlight that because I've done that before. So reselling items online that you buy in a garage or estate sale. Um, the problem I ran into is that sourcing items becomes problematic depending on what you're selling. You shake your head, you've done this before or know about it? Uh, well, I've considered attempting something like, I'm somebody that buys like Legos on the side yeah. every week or so. Yeah. Do you buy it new in the box or used? Uh, normally I just buy it in the box. I just leave it uh, like sealed. Okay, got you. Yeah. We have something in common. I'm a collector myself. And so, yeah, Lego, I, I didn't know this until within the past couple of years. Um, there was an actual academic paper that came out about Lego, and it has a, on average, 11% annual year-over-year -year appreciation. So that's a really solid return on yeah. that investment. But you need to hold it for a, a length of time, you know. So what's your what's favorite sets do you like to get? Uh, mostly, like, uh, creators and city sets. Okay. Very good, man. Good yeah. stuff. I like that. Um, yeah, but going to the, back to the reseller, I was a uh, – anybody ever watch Storage Wars? Yeah. yeah, I love Storage Wars. I know it's all fake, but I still love it. But, you know, those guys go into those things, and this is a real viable business, but, you know, you're, you're gambling that the money you buy, that you're going to be able to get that money back and some. And so that resale, um, what I tried to do is identify things that I thought would be hot in the future. You know, like if I know, like, just I've had some random examples over the years, like if I – um, some years, this is back when I was at Walmart, I would try to identify what I thought the hot holiday toys were going to be and buy a couple different ones and put them on eBay in November or something like that. One year, I really did well with uh, Tickle Me Elmo. That was one of the, I think that was the number one toy that year. I think I bought one for 20 and sold it for 120 So stuff like that, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a win. Um, shared economy opportunities like Uber, Driver, and Airbnb. Does anybody know anybody that does Uber or Airbnb or... What is the what is the food delivery called? Door. Does anybody do that, or does anybody know anybody that does that? You do it, or know somebody that does it? How 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 is that for them? Um, it was good in the moment, but the taxes kind of messed them up, so they did not recommend it. I've seen where you make a very low rate, and you're hoping for a tip, and often the tips don't materialize very well. Is that that seems to be what I've heard? So they can tip it, they can, yeah, like, reduce so it? if you tip, like, $10, you can go in the next day and be like, mm, never mind, and put zero tip. So it's kind of like, yeah, my friend did not recommend it. Yeah, that's, that's, that sucks, you know, it's not yeah. good. Yeah, um, I just, I, I appreciate the feedback on that because 
I've heard very negative things from drivers. Um, it seems like Uber, Lyft, uh, Airbnb, DoorDash. Airbnb, if I had to do any of them, I think Airbnb might be the best thing if you have a space to rent um, because you're not – you don't necessarily have to deal with that individual directly, you know, but I don't know. Um, I've just – maybe I've just seen too many videos online about stuff like that. So, so look for a business that meets these important criteria. The job is something you truly like doing. I can't specify how important that is. You – you want to do something in life, whether it's a career or an entrepreneurial endeavor, that you like to do. If not, it's going to be painful. Um, you know enough to do the job well, or you're willing to spend the time to learn it while you have another job. And you can identify a market for your product or service. And so, good stuff on that. Uh, benefits of home-based business. The ability to start your business immediately, just like my wife did. We're going to do this. Let's go. Minimal startup capital needed. Yeah, it depends on what it is that you're getting into. Some home-based businesses like LuLaRoe, there's like a eight grand, you know, that's a heavy lift out of the gate. But others, you know, very minimal. I mean, we have a friend that has a Facebook page that um, she does baked goods around the holiday. And she, around the holidays, she'll put up a little flyer that says, okay, I'm making peanut butter balls and this and this and this. Let me know what you want. And she'll get those orders in and make quantity and then, you know, it's just a little side income she does. But same thing with, like, cake decorators. I mean, you know, there's very little overhead that goes into these things up front, and you can uh, perform that service or provide that, uh, that merchandise. No rent or excessive setup charges, comfortable working conditions. Um, at one point, my wife was looking into monogramming. You buy one of these $500 machines, and you set up T-shirts and baseball caps and dresses. And I like that idea, but... Um, just the the heavy lift of the initial investment. I think, you know, the 500 was a used one, but a, a new machine was going to be like over a thousand. So they're expensive. But um, I had a friend at my last job at Wayne. Her, her husband had retired from the military, and they were looking at the viability of buying like four monogramming machines and doing like orders for people and stuff. And I was like, I like I like the idea. I just don't know how viable it is long term. But it seems to be the people that do that always have stuff they're doing for people so what's that I mean, it's always busy it's always yeah there's one there's one lady that does it at uh, my wife's work now and she's always got something she's doing so uh reduce wardrobe expenses yeah you don't have to buy you know stuff to go to the office no commuting which is a big one tax benefits elimination of office politics and low risk for trial and error so some of the downsides of a home-based business Difficult to establish work habits. And um, I'll say this another one is like, um, I, this was a learning opportunity for all of us during the pandemic, but when I was working from home, I hated it. Like, because, well, number one, I had kids at the house with me. And so I would have to go sit in my van when I did my, we did synchronous classes. So I would have my, I'd have a little like dashboard cam thing set up. So I'd be sitting in my van doing class lecture in my van because I didn't have a private room or office that I could just hide from my kids. And even if I did, every once in a while you could hear like something, my kids throw something at the wall or whatever, you know? And so I was just like, look, I'm getting out of the house. I'm going to hide in my van. And then every once in a while still, they would come outside and start banging on the windows. I see you in there. I'm going to get you. You know? So, yeah. So that being said is, um, I'm sure you've seen this on zoom or team meetings where like somebody's dog will start barking and it'll be like really a big distraction. And I've just seen a bunch of different things. Um, I've, you know, so like it could be hard to establish those professional work habits from home. 
Um, I'm not saying it can't be done. It can be, but it's just going to be difficult. Limited support system, isolation. I think that's a big one up here. Um, we all need to have interaction with other people. It's, I think that's an important part of the human condition. And so if you do, do decide to work from home, I think there's merit in getting out and going to a coffee shop and sitting down with your laptop there for a little while just to get out and be around people. Workspace may be limited. Clients may be uncomfortable coming to your home. I would never have a client come to my house. Like, like, yeah, I think that crosses a boundary. You know, meet your client like at Starbucks or somewhere else. You know, I mean, um, or I mean, it might make your client feel uncomfortable too coming to your house. I mean, like, you, me, I would feel uncomfortable. Like, you know, okay, there's my dirty laundry over there or whatever. You know, so yeah, don't don't do that. Um, zoning restrictions and success is based 100% on your efforts. So yeah, these are some of the downsides of home-based businesses. So. Think you're ready to work from home? Here's the checklist. If I don't know the answer, I can figure it out. Is that a yes or no? I'm hardworking, self-directing, and disciplined. Is that a yes or no? I'm organized and can multitask. I don't mind working long hours or weekends. I regularly set goals and measure progress. I'm happy being alone. I'm an excellent communicator. I can create relationships with people I've never met. I'm productive on my own. My family and friends don't expect me to be available when I'm working at home. That would probably be one of the tough ones on me because uh, that would be hard to have those boundaries. And so, um, so online businesses in 2019, online retail sales in the U.S. reached over 365 billion. That's a billion dollars a day, or approximately 12% of all retail sales. They must offer unique products or services, and it's easy for copycats to copy your success uh, successful product and sell imitations on their site. And I think I get that into the next part of the lecture, um, yeah. So I'll stop on this one today because I'll get into talking about copycats in a little bit. Um, so bo uh, boosting your online uh, presence, establish an identity, be easy to find, go beyond blogging, create content, and create, um, look out for opportunities, remember other forms of marketing, be sure your website has a mobile option and be friendly. Yeah, you want to have multiple streams if you're getting into online retail you want to have your own dedicated sales webpage you want to sell through amazon you want to sell through ebay you want to have an etsy shop um, you want to be found in a number of different places because it's just like casting multiple nets you know you're going to catch a little bit from here and there um, but later next on thursday we'll talk about um, people infringing on your what you're doing and copycat and things like that so all right guys don't forget about the quiz tonight. Uh, don't forget about the essay, the stew. I will have all your essays done by Thursday and turn those back in. Shoot me an email about the grades. Um, I'll make sure you can access that stuff. And I'll see you Thursday, guys. Appreciate you.